You may have experienced this before, before Valentine's Day, a, a text message or a conversation that went something like this. Uh, this Valentine's Day, we will not get anything. Okay. We're going to save money. Uh, we're going to do the budget wise thing. We're not going to, we're not going to buy each other anything. Right. Agreed. Agree. Okay. Sometimes it's written in stone, like an iMessage, right? We're not doing anything for Valentine's day. Correct. Correct. Okay. But this like, really, like we're really not going to do anything. Right. We're really not going to do anything for Valentine's day. Guys, how many of you know that this is a lie from the pit of hell? It is a lie. Okay. And if you are here and you thought, and you're confused in this moment, like, but you, that's what you said. Like, the, the, don't you mean what you say? Um, no, no, the, they don't. And so you need to learn from your brothers in Christ this morning who are here to look out for you that when they say we're doing nothing and we're getting nothing, they mean we're getting everything. We're, it's, everything's on the table, right? I mean, sometimes maybe, maybe you've experienced this before too. Like when you're texting something and, and autocorrect just does something weird and totally wrong and says something that you did not intend to say, right? I mean, sometimes it will autocorrect for you something so embarrassing and even inappropriate and you sent it and you're like, that's not at all what I was trying to say. Siri just screwed me, right? I mean, how did this happen? It happened this week between Mark and Laura. They were talking about going to pick up their kids and Laura texted Mark. She's Lars with a little kissy, kissy lips and his phone. And she said, sup. And uh, he says, on my way to get the blank heads. And she says, oh, wow, right? And he says, ha ha, I meant fart heads. Siri knows my heart. Now he promises, he promises he has never said whatever word you have in your mind right now that he's never said that in his life. He promised me too. I've never typed that word before in my life. So I don't even know why Siri betrayed me like that. Well, sometimes the same thing can happen with the scripture. We read the scripture, we get a verse in our minds and we think it means something and that's not what was originally intended. In the words of Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, I don't think that means what you think it means, right? And, and so I think that's what Paul would say to us about a verse in Philippians 4 verse 13 that says, I can do, okay, let's try it again. I can do things through Christ who gives me strength. Here's the, here's the, here's my question for you though. Did Paul really mean all things? Like, did he mean everything? Like at least the way that we've interpreted that verse today, is that what he meant? Did he mean all things? I think Paul would say it doesn't mean what you think it means. And so if you got your Bible, go to Philippians chapter four, verse 13. In this series, we're taking some of the most commonly misinterpreted and misquoted verses that we have twisted and we're looking at what they really mean. We're untwisting some of these verses that we commonly misquote. We're seeing what the Bible actually says. And maybe today you will be surprised and you'll realize maybe you've had this verse twisted. So let's untwist it. If you got your Bible, go to Philippians chapter four. Or now's a good time to open our app. The City Church Lubbock, uh, the verses and the points will be there. There's some fill in the blanks so that you can take notes as you go and stay connected. But Philippians chapter four, verse 13, here's what Paul says. Here's the verse. For I can do everything through Christ 
who gives me strength. There it is, Paul. I can do everything. I can make that money. I can win that Super Bowl. I can get that guy. I can get that girl. I can do everything, anything and everything. Paul, you just said it through Christ who gives me strength. There it is, Paul. I can do it. I can do all things. I can do anything. I can do everything. Isn't that what you meant? Whoa, 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 whoa. hold up. Hold up. Do we ever interpret a verse or build a theological position based on one verse or even just taking a few words out of a verse and saying, hey, this is what this means. This is what this is talking about. No, we don't ever do that. That is dangerous. It's very dangerous. We are always to interpret scripture in the way that it was written in the way that we're supposed to interpret it. We've said in this series is, is in this way. First of all, we interpret scripture with prayer. Paul says that the things in the scripture have been spoken and revealed by God through the Holy Spirit. They are spiritual things. And so we spiritually discern spiritual revelation from God. And the only way that you can do that is if the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart and in your mind and enabling you to understand this verse or the scripture that you're reading and to interpret it, to know what it means and to apply it to your life. So we have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts to help us understand the scripture. Next, we interpret scripture in context, context, context. And we said it three times, once for emphasis, but then secondly, we interpret scripture in context, the immediate context, like what does that verse say? What do the words mean in the original languages? Things like that. We zoom out a little bit and we go to a broader context. What is this paragraph saying? What is this chapter saying? What is this book of the Bible saying? And then we zoom out a little bit further to the whole context of scripture. What is all the scripture saying about this topic? Which leads to the next point, we interpret scripture with scripture. We use a lot of scripture to help us interpret this one, one, one scripture. We use the, the clear, very direct verses in scripture to help us interpret the not so clear. We use the easy to understand verses to help us interpret and know what the harder to understand verses say. So we interpret scripture with scripture. And then finally, we interpret scripture through Jesus. Jesus told the Pharisees that all the law and the prophets are about him. He said, it's all about me. And we said this the last couple of weeks, Jesus on the road to Emmaus after he had risen from the grave and these two men are down, they're upset because they knew that their savior, the one they had trusted in was just killed on a cross. And Jesus began to explain to them all that the law and the prophets and the Psalms had to say concerning himself. That's what Jesus said. And that's what he showed them. And that's what he taught them. And it says their eyes were open and they began to realize this was Jesus who had now risen from the grave. He's Lord, he's God. But they realized that after Jesus explained to them that all the law and the prophets and the Psalms were written about him. It was all about me, Jesus would say. So we interpret the scripture through Jesus. So let's go back to Philippians 4.13. And what do we do first? We interpret scripture with prayer. So let's pray now. God, would you move in our hearts in this moment to understand your word? God, enlighten us. Help us to not just know this word, but to be moved by it in our hearts. To not just hear it and deceive ourselves, but to know it and to live it out, be changed by it. That we might grow spiritually as a result and grow closer to Jesus and know you better. And so God, we need your help right now in this moment. God, to even understand these things. And so we're crying out to you for help. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Secondly, we interpret scripture with context. 
And we interpret scripture with scripture and we interpret scripture with Jesus. So let's do that now. And here's the first thing that we're going to see when we interpret this scripture in context is that is in the NIV, he says, I can do all this. If we go back to the verse in another translation, the original Greek that's written here can also translate to mean all this. So let's read this together. You ready? I can do all right, let's try it one more time, 1130. You guys have had more coffee than the 10, okay? You've been awake longer. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you've been awake longer, all right? So let, let's read this together. I can do this through him who gives me strength. So what's the all this? Other translations say everything. I can do everything. I can do all things. This translation says all this. It's almost as if the translators want us to interpret this in the context is written because it leads you naturally to say, oh, wait a second. Well, what's the this then? What is the all this? What is that? Well, as we interpret the scripture in context, 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 and as we interpret the scripture with Jesus and with other scripture, here's what we're going to learn. First of all, the all this is all this for him. The all this that Paul is referring to here in Philippians 14, whatever the all this is, whatever the everything is, whatever the all things is, it's all for him. It's all for him. In verse 11 and 12, if you back up and read in Philippians chapter four, which is always a good thing, right? You want to interpret it in context. You read the verses before you read the verses after what's the, all this. Well, in verse 11 and 12, Paul has just got through saying that he's learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. He says, whether I've had plenty or I'm in need, whether well-fed or hungry, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being content, even when I have nothing and I have no food and I'm hungry. I've learned the secret of being content in that situation. Now, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all this. I can do all that through him who gives me strength. It's almost as if Paul is saying, I can do all things. I can do everything. I can do all this because I already have everything I need in Christ. I can do everything because I've already got everything I need in Christ. It's almost as if he's saying, I can deny myself through him who gives me strength, which is what Jesus said, right? If you're going to follow me, you got to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. It's almost as if Paul is saying, all, the, all this is me denying myself through him who gives me strength. If we go to a broader context and we kind of zoom out a little bit and we look at the book of Philippians, Paul is writing here to the church at Philippi and in Philippians chapter one, he tells us that he's literally in chains for Christ right now, that he is in prison for preaching about Jesus. He wouldn't stop. They told him to stop. He wouldn't stop preaching about Jesus. And so now he's been arrested. He's on trial for preaching in the name of Jesus. So it's almost as if Paul's saying, I can do all this is I can preach and suffer for Christ through him who gives me strength. I can keep on preaching. I can keep on witnessing through Christ who gives me strength, regardless of the cost, regardless of 
the sacrifice. Paul writes in Philippians chapter one, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's almost as if Paul is saying that all this is I will live for something and give myself to something that is bigger than myself through Christ who gives me strength. I will live for Christ and die for Christ, for his kingdom through him who gives me strength. That's the all this. If we zoom out to the whole of scripture, Paul writes in Colossians chapter one, verse 16, all things, What's all things? Everything. Kind of like the all things, the everything in Philippians 4.13, right? I mean, this is all things. Everything Paul says was created by Jesus and for Jesus. Paul would say everything in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, everything exists because of Jesus and for Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says that everything exists for Jesus and through Jesus. So everything, all things, Paul is saying, all things are for him. The all this that I can do is for Jesus. I exist for him. I exist for his kingdom, for his name, for his fame. In fact, if you zoom out, you start looking at the Old Testament, when God prophesies through the prophet Ezekiel about a new covenant that's coming where God says, I will take your heart of stone out. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will write my laws on your minds and on your hearts and I will place my spirit within you. I'll take your, your heart of stone out. I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh. I'm gonna put my spirit inside of you and my spirit is gonna move you to follow me and serve me and worship me. And that's the new covenant. It's the new covenant of grace that you and I have been invited into where we serve God and we worship God because of his spirit that moving is moving in, inside of us and, and gives us these new desires. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God says to the prophet Ezekiel, I'm going to do this for the sake of my name. And then God actually says this, don't start thinking that I'm doing this for your sake. I'm not. I'm going to do this for my sake, because you have made my name an embarrassment among the nations. God would say it like this. My name is profaned among the nations because of you. You've made my name an embarrassment. And so I'm going to place my spirit within you to move you, to love you, to love me and worship me and follow me with all of your heart so that you might live for me. You can't do it on your own. You couldn't do it before. In fact, left to yourself, you are embarrassing me among the nations. And so in the new covenant, I'm going to take your heart of stone out that rebels against me and worships idols, lives in sin. And I'm going to place my spirit within you. And it's going to give you a hatred for sin and a love for holiness and a desire to worship me and know me. And I'm going to do this, all of this, God says, for the sake of my name, for my name's sake. And so the point of the new covenant, Christian follower of Jesus, is that you might live for God and worship him and serve him because all things exist by him and for him. And so you could say Philippians 4.13 
I can live for God and worship him and make him known and make him famous through him who gives me strength. If we interpret these verses through the life and ministry of Jesus, we'll find that Jesus says, kind of uses this, this, the same word, anything, everything. When he says this, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Whoa, Jesus, anything? I can ask for anything and you're gonna do it? The key words here, the operative word here is ask for anything in my name. It's as if Jesus was saying yes for anything in, in my name. It's like you're representing me, right? If you're doing something in my name, you're doing it like I would do it. So watch this. Ask for anything in my name. Here's what that means. First of all, it means what Jesus would ask. What are some of the things that Jesus would ask for? Well, Jesus would pray for his disciples. He would pray for healing in the lives of other people. He would pray for strength for the cross. As he knew the cross was coming, he prayed for strength from his father because he knew what was coming. You see, Isaiah 53 says it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was the Lord's will, the Father's will to crush the Son. And the Son knew this. That in order to pay the fine for our sin, he would have to be crushed by the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. It would crush him. And he knew that in that moment, as he took on the sin of the world, that his Father would have to forsake him and turn his back on him so that he wouldn't have to turn his back on you for all eternity. And so as he's headed to the cross, he's praying for strength to endure the cross. Jesus prays for the will of God to be done, not his will, but for God's will to be done. Secondly, asking anything in my name means how Jesus would ask. What Jesus would ask, but also how Jesus would ask. Hebrews chapter five says that when Jesus prayed, he prayed with reverent submission to God, with a deep reverence for God. And so he was heard. Hebrews says, because of his deep reverence for God. Jesus would pray with humility as he would pray, not my will, but yours be done. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's about what your will is, God. I submit myself to you. So Jesus prayed with reverence and with humility. And then Jesus would pray with the right motivations right? With the right why. Praying in my names means praying in the same way that Jesus would pray. It means praying why. Why would Jesus pray? Well, Jesus would pray to meet with his father. He loved his father and he wanted to meet with him. He wanted to spend time with his father. Jesus would pray to be, again, strengthened by his father so that he might serve his father and do his father's will. James the brother of Jesus said this in James chapter four, you do not have, because when you ask, you ask with selfish motives. You don't have what you're asking for because it's all about you. You're asking with selfish motives. You're not praying in the way with the same why that Jesus would pray. Listen to this prayer from Jesus. Father, glorify your name. May you be Glorified, And when Jesus said those words, there was a voice that came from heaven and the father said this out loud for many people to hear, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Almost as if God giving his approval and saying, listen, look at my son, listen to him, obey him, pray like him. 
Father, glorify your name so I can glorify God through him who gives me strength. So that's the first thing. That's what the all this is about. It's for him. Here's what it's not about. If it's all for him, well, then it's definitely, number one, not about me. It's not all for me. It's not about me. It's not for me. It's not so that I'll be known and so that I'll be famous. Our, our culture, we are so addicted to fame. And we, we see it in our social media profiles that go from one picture to the next and it's my, our face, so, you know, on every one of them and no one else's faces, just, just our faces. I mean, we're, we're addicted to fame and, and that we look at famous people and great athletes and movie people, whatever. And, and, and if they say something, we actually think it's authoritative. And that because they're famous, they should be listened to and their opinions should matter. We look at famous athletes and all the money they make and the way people look at them and the things they do on, the, on a field. And, and we're, we're, we're enamored by these things. Listen, when Steph Curry goes to heaven, and I believe he will because he's professed his faith in Christ, God is not going to see Steph Curry walking up in his Curry fives and with a basketball and say, look, it's Steph Curry. Steph, would you, would, would you sign a basketball for me? Can I get your autograph? I, I got news for you. That's not happening. God does not need or want anyone's autograph. He is not enamored like we are by famous people. Philippians 4.13 is not, going, is not about going out and winning a Super Bowl or hitting a home run. It's about living for the fame of God. It's about what Paul was willing to endure to preach Christ and make Jesus known. You see, we need new famous people to look up to. Christians, need, we, we need our, our, like our own set of famous people, people like Paul and people like Hudson Taylor and Martin Luther. I mean, people who've been willing to die for the sake of Christ. Those are our heroes. Those are our famous people that we should look to. So this isn't, I can go win the Super Bowl through him who gives me strength. This is, I can go lead someone to Christ through him who gives me strength strength because heaven doesn't erupt when we hit a home run or win a Super Bowl. Heaven's not throwing a party. We might, but heaven's not. Jesus said heaven throws a party when one sinner gives their life to Jesus. And so this is, I can go and preach Christ and suffer and die for the gospel through him who gives me strength. So number one, this, all this is not about me. And two, this, all this is not now I can go sin through Christ who gives me strength, right? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense, right? This isn't, I can go get wasted through him who gives me strength. This isn't, uh, I can go have sex with someone I'm not married to through him who gives me strength. This isn't, I can go slander someone through him who gives me strength. I can go gossip about somebody through him him who gives me strength. No, it's quite the opposite. It's I repent of sin and pursue holiness through him who gives me strength. So this, all this, first of all, is for him. It's for Jesus. Secondly, this, all this is through him. The, all this that Paul is talking about 
is through him who gives me strength. In Philippians chapter one, we learn again, Paul is in chains for Christ. He's been humiliated. He's been attacked by false teachers. He's lonely. He's hungry. And so Paul is saying, I can sacrifice and suffer for Christ. The, all this that we just talked about, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. How, how Paul, how can you do that through him who gives me strength. I do it through him. I can't do it on my own. I can only do this through the power of God at work in me. Paul would write in Romans chapter seven, that we've been released from the law so that we might serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So we serve God now in the new way of the spirit that lives inside of us, that gives us the power and the motivation and the inspiration and the ability to serve and worship and love Christ. Paul would write this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse nine. But he said to me, after I prayed several times for God to remove this thorn from my flesh and theologians debate about what that was. Was it a speech impediment? Was it a limp? Was it a sickness? Paul said, I had this thorn and I was begging God to take it away from me. You ever experienced something like that? A thorn in your life, a suffering in your, and then you're begging God to take it away. And Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse nine, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses that I can't do it. I will boast in that so that the power of Christ might rest on me. I boast about my weaknesses, my inability to do it because it's when I'm weak and when I boast in my weaknesses, Paul said, then Christ's power rests on me and strengthens me to withstand this thorn, to withstand this suffering. Paul said in Ephesians chapter three, verse 16 and 17, I pray that God will strengthen you with his power through his spirit to know Christ and to know his love. So the way that you know Christ and you know and understand the love of Christ is through the power of the spirit, through him who gives you strength. You can't do it on your own. Paul would say in Colossians chapter one, verse nine through 12. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God by being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. So, so how do we patiently endure suffering? How do we live a life worthy of the calling that we've received in a manner worthy of the Lord? How do we increase in knowledge of God through him who gives me strength? That's how. And so Paul is clearly saying that all this, that all this is accomplished through him who gives me strength. If we interpret this verse through Jesus, once again, we see Jesus in the garden praying and he tells his disciples, you might remember this, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, the spirit inside of us is willing but the flesh is weak. And so we got to watch and pray so that we won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh 
is weak. And then Jesus prays this, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then the gospel of Luke says this, that after Jesus prayed that prayer, an angel came to him and strengthened him. So Jesus endured the cross as he was strengthened by his father to do so. Fully God, but also fully man. And he took on our weak flesh and he would pray in that moment, knowing that he was about to be crushed by the wrath of God for our sin. Not my will, yours be done. And then an angel came and strengthened him. And so we see through the life and ministry of Jesus that I can, again, I can deny myself. I can suffer and I can give up my will through him who gives me strength. And so if the, all this is through him, then here's what it's for sure not. It's not self-sufficiency. It's not, I'm enough. It's not, I can do this. Paul's not saying, I got this. I can do this. Paul's saying, actually, I can't do this on my own. I'm not enough. Our culture, our society wants you to think and will preach to you. And even well-meaning Christians will say this sometimes. You are enough. The Bible says you're not enough. Go read Romans chapter three. No one is good. No, not one. No one is good. You are not enough. That is terrible news because all we ever experience on a day-to-day -day basis is that I'm not enough. Quit telling me I'm enough. I know I'm not enough. That's not good news. The good news is I know someone who is enough. I'm not enough, but he is enough. I'm not enough, but Jesus is enough. And Christ in me, Paul would say, is the hope of glory. Christ in me. It's not me. This isn't self-sufficiency. This isn't I'm good enough. This isn't I'll make it. This isn't I've got this. This isn't just, you know, bear down and, and grin and, 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 and just pull yourself up by your bootstrap. No, 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 no. The chasm's too great, we just sang. The mountain's too high, we just sang it. You can't do it. But he can. The gospel is not I'll do it. I'll fix it. The gospel is he's done it. It's done. It's finished. The gospel's not do better and try harder. From this moment forward, do the best you can to be the best Christian you can and to serve God. And no, 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 that's not the gospel. The gospel's not you do, it's, it's done. He did it. And so I'm not enough, but the good news is I know who is enough. And I've given my life to him. And as the scripture says, I'm hidden in Christ and, and he's in me and my hope is in him. Paul's actually boasting in 2 Corinthians 12 that he's not enough. I boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. It's almost as if he said, I'm boasting and I'm proclaiming I'm not enough. But with Christ's power working in me and through me, I can do it through him who gives me 
strength. Now you might be thinking, why? Why, Paul? Why all this? Why, why, why go hungry? Why be in need? Why, why risk your life? Why, why bear these chains? Why, Paul? What, what reason could you possibly have? What, what, what in the world would be worth all this? I think Paul explains why all this to his disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look what Paul says. Why, why, why all this? Verse 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me his strength, right? Through him, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. It's almost like Paul saying that, that chasm that exists that we just sang about between us and God, if it were possible, it's almost like Paul is saying, listen, the chasm is so much greater for me between God than it is for you. The, the chasm is so much greater. I'm the worst of all. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense Patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When you have encountered the mercy of God, it changes you from the inside out to where you live for the honor and glory of the one true king. It's just what happens because you receive the Holy Spirit. And it gives you a desire to live for God and to preach about Jesus. Paul said in the same moment that I gave my life to Christ and received the Holy Spirit, God appointed me to his service. It's almost as if when you give your life to Jesus, you become a missionary at that moment. It's just what happens when you've been forgiven, when you've experienced mercy, there's something that changes inside of you and you want everyone to know that mercy. You want everyone to know that forgiveness that can be found in Christ. And you're willing to do whatever it takes that all people might know. It's just what happens when you give your life to Jesus, when you've experienced the mercy of God, when you've realized that like Paul, If you were to know me and know my heart, you would know that I'm the worst of sinners. When you've experienced the mercy of God, it should cause you to say, no, 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 Paul. You, you may think you're the worst, but I'm the worst. That chasm between me and God is so great. But I was shown mercy. And I couldn't climb the mountain and I couldn't cross the chasm. But you came and rescued me. You came down 
I couldn't make it up to you. I couldn't cross the chasm, but you came down and you came to me and you rescued me. And you didn't come to make me a good person because I was bad or make me a better person because I was kind of good. I was dead. And you came and brought me to life. And that's the gospel. You are dead in your sin and there is nothing that you can do about it. And you are headed to hell to experience the fine, the wrath of God for your sin. And there is nothing you can do about it. You can't cross the chasm. You can't climb the mountain. But Jesus has come to you in your sin and shown you mercy and risen you to life. And so Paul says this in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your sin. You were objects of the wrath of God. But in the same way God has raised Jesus from the grave, if you've given your life to Jesus, he will raise you too and he will seat you in the heavenly realm and you will be a co-heir with Christ. The gospel is you were dead and Christ came and rescued you and raised you from the dead and gave you new life. And so Paul says this, those of us who are now alive, who've been made alive through the gospel, we were dead. But Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, those of us who are now alive, like that we live for Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. You see the person who's experienced mercy, who's been risen to new life in Christ, lives for him who died and rose again for them. It's just the way, it, it's just what happens. Those of us who live, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for him who died and rose again. So I think Paul would say this, all this, the all this that I'm experiencing, it's because of him. He's the why. Why, why Paul? Why in the world would you go through all this? Would you deal with the all this that you're talking about in Philippians chapter? Why? It's all because of him. It's all for him, it's all through him, and it's all because of him. He is my why. He is worth it. David Platt, a well-known pastor and author in our country, said this about radical obedience to Christ. He said, it's not easy. It's not comfort. It's not wealth, it's not health, and it's not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things, all this. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ himself. And he is more than enough for us. I can do everything because I've got everything I need in Christ. Would you pray with me? God, in this moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts? And God, would you just reveal to us if this verse has always been about us or if we've prayed this verse in our desire and in our heart to live for you? and to worship you and to serve you regardless of the cost. God, I, I confess a lot of times when I, when, when I read the scripture and especially verses like this, it can easily turn into, into being all about me and my fame, my will, what I want. 
But God, I pray in this moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would do all this for him, through him, and because of him. God, would you make that change in our hearts right now? It can only happen by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in your name we pray, amen.